We're glad that you're here today. Feel relaxed. Join us for lunch today and uh, just let us love you and serve you. Uh, last week, uh, Adam preached about expectation. And I just, I had this message staring in my heart for like the last 10 years. And I thought, well, I might as well just go on and let it out of the bag now. So today I'm going to speak to you about shaping your expectation. Because your expectation is so, so important to the way your destiny, your life and your outlook actually uh, is influenced by your expectation, what you expect you are moving towards, you're preparing for. And it's an unusual scripture, and I wouldn't normally do this, um, but I want to take the time to read an entire chapter of the Bible. Is that okay? Anyone here love God's Word? Is that okay if I take the time to read to you? Would it be all right if we did that? If you're joining us um, online or if you are listening to the broadcast, we're really glad uh, that you're with us today. Please feel at home. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 48 uh, and verse 1 to 12. We're going to need someone to stay on that camera today. Sammy, you'll have to, you'll have to be on that camera today because um, anything could happen and I could run off the stage or anything could take place uh, here today. It says, are you there in Genesis chapter I'm going to have to take my glasses off so I can read my page. Is that all right? You happy? All right. It came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh and Jacob. So the four people we're talking about this morning, uh, Joseph, Ephraim, Manasseh, Jacob. They said, hey, your son Joseph is coming to you. So Israel, that's his new name, strengthened himself and sat up on his bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of, land of Canaan. And he blessed me and he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply you and I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. Just like Reuben and Simeon, my natural sons, so too, these sons of yours shall be mine. And those that you have after, they shall be yours. And they'll be called by the name of their brothers and have their own inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel, your mother, died beside me in the land of Canaan. On the way, we were very close to Bethlehem. And Israel saw Joseph's sons and he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given to me in this place. And he said, please, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Someone say, bless them. So the eyes of Israel were dim with age and he could not see. And Joseph brought his sons close to his father and he kissed them, embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not even hoped or thought I would see your face again. But in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand. You go, hang on, something happening here. And brought them near to him, and Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger. And his left hand he, went on to, he put onto Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long, the angel who has redeemed my 
life from all evil. Bless these lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim and it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and put it on Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, a great people. And, but truly his younger brother will be greater than he is, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And he said these words, he said that day, you will say this, by Israel you will bless, saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of our fathers. Moreover, I've given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Ammonite with my own bow and sword. And then to the record, let us add this from John chapter 4, verse 5 through to 10. So Jesus came to the city of Samaria, which is called Shekar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, he sat down by the well and it was about the sixth hour and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman of Samaria said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Because you Jews have no dealings with us Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is speaking to you and asking for a drink of water, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Have you heard those words before? Some of them. Let's pray. Father, today is a moment in time. And we recognize, Lord, that you have brought us into your kingdom for such a time as this. We are here today. We're listening to this broadcast, this message today. And we posture our heart like a disciple to hear what you are saying to our church and to our lives. We just yield again to you and into the midst of what we are trying to make sense of, Lord. We invite you to bring about your purpose and your plan. And we take that incredible promise where you've said you will make all things work together for good because we love you and we are called according to your purpose. And somebody said, Amen. Back to the story of Joseph and his two sons and Jacob, their father. Just so you understand the background, the setting of what's happened here, because some of you may have never heard this story before. You might not know the context. This is after the creation story and after God has eliminated humanity off the planet through the flood and Noah has been preserved through God's kindness and his family. And the children of Israel haven't existed yet. And God speaks to a man called Abram and calls him out of a, a, of a pagan nation and brings him to a land of promise. And he, he has sons and there's trouble in his family. And then Isaac, his son, has trouble with his family. And, and, then, and then Jacob flees and runs away from his family to, uh, to back to the home country. But he comes back and he, he, he receives something from God, a transformation from God. But there's great famine in the land and there's great problems in his family. And one of his sons is presumed dead and killed, but he's actually been sold into slavery. He's ended up in Egypt. And now 
by a miraculous set of circumstances. You might even say like the divine providence of God. He's actually come to be the place of prime minister. He's in a position of incredible influence, second only to Pharaoh. And Jacob, his father, comes to him. And in his aged years, Joseph recognizes, I want the blessing to be upon my children. Um, There are four questions I want to ask you this morning. I know you're going to take notes. Here's the first question. Before I begin, I want to just acknowledge Pastor Dustin Bell from Calvary. More than 10 years ago, I heard Dustin preach on this passage of Scripture, and I took notes, Ruth. I took notes, and it stayed in my heart, and I put it in my sermon garden, and I let it grow, and I've adopted it, and it's now mine. And so if I'm emotional, for which I make no apology, it's because it's alive and real and fiber in my heart. Is that okay? We can get that boring preacher back next week, but today I'm going to let it bleed out of me. Is that all right? So we're going to come into this story and get right into it. Is that okay? We're going to jump right into this story of these four people, these, this old man sitting on his bed because that's all the strength that he has. I'm going to sit in the shadows here for a moment because, you know, in a Bedouin's tent, it's kind of dark, right? It's kind of dark in a Bedouin's tent. It's not like the palace. It's not like the gold and the glitz of Pharaoh's court, right? Can you imagine what it'd be like? Could you really imagine what it'd be like? Two young boys, right? Who's ever had two young boys? Who's never had two young boys? Who's yet still to have two young boys? Sharon, we've only had one son and he's a champion. But I just imagine, I just imagine trying to drag Josiah and Madeline away from the PlayStation to go and hang out in stinky grandpa's tent. Like, I don't know about you, but I just, could you imagine the conversation? Hey, where are we going today, Dad? We're going to ride in the chariot. Are we going to sail in Pharaoh's yacht down the Nile? Like, are we going to watch some gladiator sports? We're going to ride the elephants today. Uh, no. Where are we going, Dad? Banquet? You're like, come on, this is, this is a special day, right? This, you got us up out of bed early. Where are we going? I want to take you to meet someone who's, who's so pivotal to world events. Oh, we're going to see Pharaoh. Nah, time will fade and his name will not be remembered. But the man I'm going to show you today, the man I want you to meet today, he's carrying something. What's he carrying, Dad? Pocket full of gold? No, 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 no. Look, look just come with me. Now, point number one, because you're writing down notes. How do you see the Father? How do you see the Father? How do you see the Father? Can you imagine these two young guys? Just Perhaps they're toddlers. It doesn't say he brought them from beside his hip. It doesn't say he brought them beside his shoulder. He said knee. So they're, they're little kids, right? And you imagine how distracted those little kids are? And so they leave behind the opulence of the palace. Sammy, you're on the camera. And go into the Bedouin's tent. Now, if I go out there, I'll probably go and have lunch while you're all sitting in here, so I better not do that. But I want to take you in the moment. I want to put you in the scene. I want you to know that when these two guys come in there, they're going, you've been near old people? You've been near old people? Do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's like? You ever been around real old people going to their home? There's a certain, well, let's be polite. Let's be careful what we say here because it's been recorded. But we've been there, haven't we? Kind of our, our parents took us to meet old, old friends and old family friends. There's, we've been there. We had that experience, right? And we look at them going, can we go and ride the bike now? Can we go back to Macca's now? And Joseph who's in all his regalia, he's, he's the prince of Egypt, he's the prime minister of the land, and he brings his two sons to this old guy who's 
aged and feeble. He's kind of blind. And it'd be so easy just to see with our natural eyes. And that's all we see. That's all we see. If you come with me to the next slide, I want to share with you a thought. And if you only see the natural things, you'll only ever experience the temporal things. Because how do you see the Father? If you see with your natural eyes, you go, you know what, maybe Christianity was good once. Maybe, it was, maybe this faith thing was important once. But, but now we've got science. Now we've got, we've got technology. Now we, we don't need those myths and those fables. We don't need that stuff anymore. I want to tell you this that the message of life is as relevant today as it's ever been. The necessity of the cross is as relevant today as it's ever been. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the way we're supposed to relate to Him and the way we're supposed to relate to each other is just as relevant today as it ever has been. It's not going out of style. It's not going out of fashion. But how do you see the Father? How do you see the Father? So they come to Him. Now, can you imagine this scene? Can you? Can you? These two boys are there. And what does Joseph do? These two boys have only ever seen their dad as the prime minister, right? But what does Joseph do? The Bible uses this word, he prostrates himself. We don't have an English word. We don't have an Australian word for that. There's no Aussie lingo for that. He was... Face down, flat out. Before, and could you imagine what's going on in these young men's minds, these young lads' minds? Dad, why are you bowing to this old cripple? What's going on here? Dads, can I tell you something? What you bow down to will greatly influence your children. What they see you kneeling before and venerating will have tremendous power on the generation to come. How do you see the Father? Oh, I don't know. I don't think there's anything I can get from Him. Look, He's at the end of His life. What has He got? I'll tell you what He's got. He's got a promise. He's carrying a promise. He's carrying an encounter. Can I be a little old Pentecostal with you today? He's carrying the fire of God. He's carrying the anointing. And if we need anything in the church today, it's the anointing and the power and the fire and the presence of God. We need men and women who are carrying a fire. They're carrying a promise. So many people had a promise, but they put it down. Nothing more common than people that were gifted with a promise, were loaded with potential, but they never went on with it. So David, why do you get so emotional? Because this just burns in my heart. I see the tragedy of people who carried such great anointing and they just put it down. They just set it aside. When I stand before the Father, I know He's going to ask me, what would you do with the life that I gave you? What would you do with the Son, my Son, that died for your sins? I know my Father in Heaven is going to ask me those questions. I want to have a good answer for them. I want to have a good answer. Age meeting youth. Disability meeting vitality. Physical blindness face-to-face with prophetic insight. Jacob, almost 150 years of age, nearly blind, but a man possessing a promise. When you come to God, how do you see Him? Because how you see Him will shape your expectation. If you come before God thinking, He's waiting for a chance to get me, so I won't go there, then you'll never go there. But if you realize that He's actually there to bless you, 
He's actually there to impart life to you. He's actually there to infuse you with a promise and a hope and a vision and speak blessing over you. You'll go, I want to be... I'm going to try and stay calm, Luke. I'm going to try and stay calm. But he's going to want to be in the presence, right? Because when you know what the Father's heart is, how do you see the Father? Well, maybe he's there, but maybe he's not good. Maybe he's there, but maybe he's just old and cranky and tired. Maybe he's just... I wonder how Joseph's brothers saw their father. I know how Joseph saw his father, right? I've asked you this question before, Desmond. Let me ask it to you again. I'd love you to tell me about the Jesus you've met. I'd love to know about the Jesus that's become sovereign and master and director in your life because the father that you see, not the one that was in your home, but the father with a capital T and with a capital H and with a capital E, I can spell. The father, how do you see him? Well, my dad was present, but he was emotionally absent. My dad was there, but he was very autocratic. My dad was there, but he beat my mum. My dad, I don't even know who my dad is. How do you see up? And you know what? We can't help but take something of the prism of which we see our earthly father and turn it towards how we see our heavenly father. And so it will shape your destiny because your expectation is being forged and framed by the way you see God. Can I get a witness here today? Do you see him as a God of abundance and blessing? Number two. Number two. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Ephraim and Manasseh that day became adopted into Jacob's family. Now, you and I, we, we don't really understand that word adoption because we see it through our Western world. We see it as, as, as sort of a mark of shame. Well, look, I'm just adopted. You know, something happened and now I was sort of pushed into this family so that someone would look after me. But in the context of what's being written here, these guys are getting an upgrade. These guys are being upgraded. They're being adopted into a whole new family. And the blessing that's on this household now comes on to your life directly. But how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Ephraim and Manasseh get adopted. Well, here's the question. How else, how else could Jacob have given the double portion to his son Joseph? Who's supposed to get the birthright? The firstborn. Well, this child is the firstborn of the second wife. It's the beloved Rachel that he was supposed to have, right? Right? But didn't get until 14 years of work, right? So how does this father with a heart of compassion and love wanting to give to his son tremendous, but how does he do that? He adopts his own sons as his own. These two boys now, they're mine, and he gives to him a double portion. Are you seeing yourself through the prism of your successes? Do you wear what you've achieved as your badge? Is that how you see yourself? Do you see yourself through the prism of your failures? Are you labeled by what others have said about you? Is that how you see you? Do you label yourself and see yourself through the prism of your anointing or your connections? Are you seeing yourself as little more than the attributes of your characteristics or your body language or your body shape, rather? Do you see yourself as something more than your ethnic heritage? 
your educational attainment? How do you see the you that you look at when you look into the mirror? Because what God sees is different to what I see. Because what God says is different to what I say. Imagine a coffee table, a coffee table book, if you would, and it's filled with pictures of you. Let's put that book away. <laughs> Let's not leave that out on the coffee table. Does anyone here take really glamorous, like, driver's license photos? Could you imagine, could you imagine if for some reason someone just said, you know, all my driver's license photographs, just sit in that chair and take the photo. Look, look up here, look where? Next minute, bright light and uh, snap, and there it is, and it's stuck on your little plastic card for five years, right? Not all of us are hot glamour models like Sharon, but the rest of us, we've got these photographs, yeah, we've got these photographs of ourselves that look pretty dodgy. But could you imagine someone taking those, blowing them up, putting them in a coffee table book and said, there, see that? That's me. When everyone comes to the house, they spin the book around and say, have a good look, this is me. We wouldn't do that, would we? And yet, I ask you again today, how do you see yourself? You see, Jacob is not looking at two young lads. He's looking down the corridor of time into the future where these two will become nations. He's looking beyond what is present right now. And if all you can see is this moment, that's all you'll live in. But if you lift up your eyes and begin to go, God, what is it you see for my life? What do you have for my life? What's ahead of me? It'll shape your expectation. It will determine the destiny that you head for. Humility... Next slide. The humility is the thing that unlocks the door to God's promises. Humility. Humility. Are you, do you have enough humility to go, you know what? Maybe there is something beyond what I can see, taste, touch, and feel. Maybe there is something more for me, within me, than I perhaps could have realized before. How do you see the you that God has made you? Number three. How do you see life's circumstances? How do you see life's circumstances? I think a lot of my emotion this morning in preparing this message really comes down to this point number three because as I think about my life, it's interesting when, when Jacob is asked by Pharaoh, how old are you? He says, 137 years and my years have been long and they've been evil and hard. You know, he, he says to Pharaoh something very, very interesting. He, he reveals that his life's been, a, he's been, hallmarked by, by tragedy and difficulty, you know. But when he speaks to his sons, when he speaks to his grandsons, he speaks about the blessing of God that's on his life. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that really? Some of you going, why is it interesting? Good question. Write it down. Go and meditate on it. Think about that. Life has not been easy sailing for Jacob. Remember, he left home as a teenage boy. Parents were disabled and fighting. And he left the home for the fear of his life, ran away from home to spare his own life, right? Because his brother wanted to kill him, yeah? Because of family favoritism. Several rivalry made him flee from his family and his precious mum as a young man. He encounters God and caused him to wonder and to wrestle. He's deeply smitten in love and deeply betrayed by his father-in-law who was his employer. He's required to work for 14 years so he could marry the woman that he loved. He suffered the rape of his daughter, the genocide of an entire community by his sons. 
the terror and retribution from his brother that never actually came, the death of his wives, the treachery of his sons when they killed Joseph. They didn't physically do it, but they did it relationally, didn't they? And sold him into slavery and the death of his beloved son. Joseph was presumed by Jacob. Jacob's lived through all of this. He's lived through all of this. But 20 years, this is what I want you to catch this morning. You ready? Say, I'm ready. 20 years. 20 years after he thought his son was dead. 20 years after he thought his son was dead, his son is putting food on his table. But I... But I thought that was finished. I thought that was gone. I thought there was no hope. How do you see life's circumstances? How do you see that God is leading and directing? Look, God may have been there one time, but He's not there now. I promise you, these are the words of my master. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So you might not understand where you are right now and where God is right now, but He knows where He is and He knows where you are. And if you'll see your circumstances as God, the master, storyteller, what happens when God enters your story? Well, that's when life begins to change, right? When you begin to cooperate with God, when you invite God into your story, what you thought was dead and gone is now today producing a benefit and a blessing and enriching your life. Can you imagine that coming true for you? Because you shape your future by determining your expectation. We know, Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Write this scripture down, 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, 1 Peter 3, 10, 11. How do you see life's circumstances you have done something so terrible you thought to yourself it's over for me there's no coming back from this have you ever been there have you gotten to a place so dark you thought the only thing that good could happen now is that I could be forgotten ever been there have you ever wondered how in the world can God make something good of this mess have you ever wept those kind of tears and go God if you are there why would you do this why would you allow this how do you see your life's circumstances. I'm a custodian of a tremendous blessing. I'm a custodian of a tremendous message and a tremendous anointing. And I don't always understand what happens, but I do trust that he who began a good work in me will not abandon that work and he will not abandon me, but he'll complete it and he'll fulfill it. And so my world is shaped by my expectation that God's good. He's on the throne and he's not in a bad mood. He's doing all things to to make them work together for good. People look me in the face and sit my coffee, across my coffee table and say, if God's so good, why? Well, at least you're talking. And that's better than silence. At least you're asking. And that's better than silence. At least you're opening up. And that's better than silence. Because if you'll ask and if you'll keep on asking and if you'll knock and if you'll keep on knocking and if you'll seek and if you'll keep on seeking guess what it will be open to you and you will find it if you just refuse to give up just touch your neighbor and say look like a man or a woman that will never give up to me go ahead tell somebody with God in your story who knows what good thing is going to happen
Who knows what good thing is going to happen? Point number four. Point number four is how do you see grace? How do you see grace? In Romans chapter 2, the Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. How, how do you see grace? How do you handle grace? Grace is rightly defined as God's unmerited favor. Do you believe that you are favored by God? Adam reminded us today that God has no favorites. But do you believe that you're favored by God? Do you believe that you're special to God? Do you have a feeling that maybe everyone's special to God? I don't agree with everything in the shack. But one thing I really love about that book is that when the father is speaking, he always starts his conversation by saying something like this. I'm particularly fond of that one. That's the, father, that's the Jesus I know. That's the father that I'm in relationship with. How do I see grace? Can you accept, can you accept this? That you personally are special to him. That you are treasure to him and treasured by him. Brennan Manning is a, is a, Interesting man, if you've read any of his books or read or know anything of his life, he taught me a lot about the grace of God. Uh, Brennan Manning makes no, hides the, doesn't hide the fact that uh, he's been a Catholic priest and a failed Catholic priest and a married ex-Catholic priest and a drunkard uh, and redeemed and saved and sober for a while and struggled with stuff all of his life. But he, he, he coined this, he coined this sentence that I took and planted in my heart. It says that God loves you just as you are and not as you should be. Can you accept that? Can you accept that? See, see the holiness preacher in me goes, yeah, but wait, just, 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 just hang on, hang on, hang on. How can God, well, when you define love as the relentless commitment to the other person's well-being then God loves you as you are today not as you should be and when you experience if I could just get your heart's attention for a moment if I could just draw your attention to this point how do you see grace you see in the story Jacob crosses over his hand and puts his hand of favor on the younger's head and declares over Ephraim tremendous blessing. He pronounces great blessing on Manasseh as well, but he says, you know what? Something unique is going to happen with this child. How, how, do you, how do you process grace? How do you process grace? Have you ever been to a, a showing of Les Miserables? Ever watched the movie? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That's a long time ago, Pastor. We don't go to worldly things like that. If, if, if you look for the gospel, you can find it even in the world. And the next time you watch that, which might be this afternoon for some of you, you're going to see two men respond to grace completely differently. Grace is offered to both men. And you know what? One receives it and is transformed by it. The other rejects it, and the result is forthcoming. On the Mount of Golgotha, 
at the place they call the skull where our Savior was crucified. There were, as the Scripture says, two men crucified beside Jesus. The Bible in Luke's Gospel makes it clear they weren't just regular guys, they were criminals. In fact, if you look into what, they, they were murderers and butcherers. They were, they were genuinely evil men. They weren't just guys who got caught off guard as political dissidents. These men were murderers. They were criminals. They were getting what they justly deserved, as one man rightly said. But in that moment, in that moment of agony on the cross, one thief rails against Jesus and one relies on Jesus. One rejects and one receives. That's the power of choice that God gives to you and to I. And the question I've got to ask you is, what are you going to do with this grace that Jesus offers you? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to say, maybe later? Or are you going to live passionately in the light and the revelation, the reality of, well, He's going to love me now, what do I do? It's true, He will love you no matter what you do. But that love is being offered to you that's transforming. And why would you live your life with your back to that love and not turn full focus and go, God, love me and continue to love me and let that love be transforming within my life. One sought an exit from the pain. One sought an entrance into paradise. How do you see grace? Is it something you see as, well, I can come back to that. I've got time. I'll get around to being a Christian one of these days. Or do you say, Yes, and live wholeheartedly in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our worship team returning to the platform right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. If you're watching this broadcast or if you're listening to this online, I want you to take a moment and just consider the grace that's being resurrection, His ascension and His anointing that He wants to pour out onto your life. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with the grace that God offers to you. Take a moment, bow your heart, consider how do you see the Father? How do you see yourself? How do you see life's circumstances? And how do you see the grace of God that's being offered to you right now? Father, while every eye is closed, while every head is bowed, as we are here in this moment of your presence, we invite you to touch us deeply. Create within us an awareness of your goodness, of your holiness, of your beauty, of your purpose, of your plan. Reveal to us your grace. Grant to us that gift of humility that enables us to see our son. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that we would settle this issue and we would live our lives in the light of this grace. How this grace is more than mercy, that it actually becomes an empowering and an enabling force that lifts us beyond who we've been and transforms us because we've been adopted into the kingdom of the Son of your love. 
And we are no longer orphans or strangers or adrift in the personal invitation of our Father, Creator, Master, and Sovereign of all eternity. Father, as people here today in this moment settle the matter in their heart, to begin that journey of learning and understanding and walking and talking and conversing with you. That you would bring about the result that you have hoped, Lord. A tremendous harvest and addition of lives added to your church. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If today you're making that decision for the first time, I'd love to pray with you and and talk with you and uh, just encourage you in the decision that you've made. Talk to one of our leaders. Talk to the person that invited you to come along today. And uh, we'd like to help in any way we possibly can as you begin and commence on this, on this journey. So glad that you are here and that you've been here this morning. I, I really trust and pray you can join us for our lunch. We're good to go, George. We're good to go. Let's pray a blessing over this meal and over our gathering, our time together. In Jesus' name. Father, Thank you that came today with a miracle to give it away to somebody else. Lord, who knows if we're carrying a miracle of encouragement or healing, financial resource. You know, Lord, you've put it in us. Today, as we mingle with our family and our new friends, we want to release the power of your kingdom because we know that your kingdom is not a matter of talk. It's a demonstration of power. So let your kingdom flow through us in this time of just being together as family and friends. And let your grace rest upon us all in Jesus.